0: I love that we were just talking for a whole fucking hour. Yes, we were. That's what happens when we don't see each other for a fucking week and a half.
1: Literally. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. I apologize for the scratchy weird voice. I am getting over a shiknish, So you're going to hear a lot of like (coughs) during this and, uh, you know, fucking roll with it. Okay. Episode six, zero. Yes. 6-0, Six zero, dude. Very
0: good knowing the episode number off the bat. I'm so wrote, proud of you. <laughs> I wrote
1: it down, down stuff I can't can't do this. For 60. no I'm just kidding. Um yeah, 60. Oh my lanta, this is exciting. I yes. love it. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked, they were like, "Oh, you have a podcast? How many episodes do you have?" And I was like, "I think we're up to cuz when we had batched all those episodes, mm-hmm it for like 54 to 56 or something. And I was like, I think we're up to 56 now. they're like, shut up. I was like, soon to be 500. Um, <laughs> I just told one of my teenage about.
0: clients about it because I was <laughs> talking about our speech that we're doing for the kids on the yeah. second or whatever. And I was like, it's yeah. about our podcast. She's like, wait, what? You have a podcast and you never <laughs> told me? I was like, I don't know. Like, it's just weird for me. Like yeah. you can listen if you want to, you know? She was like, you're going to talk to kids about your podcast where you swear. I said, we're not telling them to listen to us. We're talking about like following your dreams, following your dreams.
1: And we're talking about our therapy practices too. It's Mm -hmm. about entrepreneurship and what you can do.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Anyways, back to the episode, episode six zero today, we are going to talk about PTSD, otherwise known as post-traumatic stress disorder. So post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about other stress disorders or trauma-related disorders, right? Because I think that um, knowing the clients and people that I see, that there has been a, a big uprising in trauma and I'm not saying that the traumas aren't real or valid. It doesn't necessarily matter to the clinician or who they're talking to, whether they think the trauma is a valid, those are air quotes, valid trauma or not. It matters what the person, how the person perceived it. Right. Mm-hmm. So like um, it could be like the death of someone's animal. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like somebody might be able to be like, what, what, like, it's just, yes. a pet, it's whatever. But it, so that person, if it's their world, then that's, that is trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, So we're going to kind of talk a little bit about those today.
0: Well, and I think the overall evolution of trauma, right? Because back in the day, wasn't it like Gulf War syndrome, right? Isn't that what they used to call it? Where it was like just for veterans who experienced war. But so even
1: before, (laughs) so in Nam, when Nam happened, Mm -hmm. it, so that's kind of like right when we started to really recognize what trauma was because- Um, veterans were coming back from the war, and they were having like, hallucinations and mm-hmm. disassociations and they were getting diagnosed with, um, 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 schizophrenia. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, before they recognized, and they would
0: institutionalize them. Yikes. They wouldn't like they wouldn't fix. They them, didn't so understand the effect that war yeah, had on people.
1: That trauma can have right that yeah. it changes your brain that you get stuck in that fight flight freeze fawn responses. Mm-hmm. And so they had characterized it as like schizophrenia or like hallucinations or psychosis and things like that. And then locked people away sure. when they had institutions. And so now then they started to, um, so Dr. Vessel
0: van der Kolk, Vander, like right? I got to look now. I think it's it is.
1: I should know because I listened to this book for 17 hours on Audible. I think it's Basil van der Kolk. Kolk? Bessel van der Kolk, MD. Yes. yes. So he wrote how the, um, not how, the body keeps score, brain, mind, and body and the healing of trauma. So he wrote about um, like the the origins of trauma and like how it mm-hmm. got started and whatnot. And I don't know if it was called Gulf War Syndrome, but it was something very similar to that mm-hmm. when it went. The trauma had first started coming about but then they petitioned to have it entered into the dsm as like post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. and things like that um and and to really start recognizing trauma for what it was because when he started doing um different um like trauma-related modes of therapy with them then they started to recover whereas sure. like somebody with schizophrenia or psychosis, it's not that you don't necessarily recover. You learn how to do reality testing and grounding to, uh, to recognize what's real and what's not sure. real, like what your brain is creating. And, but also and, those things don't go away.
0: Not that trauma exactly, goes away, exactly. right?
1: But like you, you're, but you're in the thick you, of it. You can fully recover from trauma. You can, yes. like you literally, you, you can have a, a severely debilitating thing happen to you or have experienced that and then return to life as. Mm-hmm as it was, depending on what the trauma sure. was, you know, cause like if it's a loss of a loved one, obviously it's not going to be life as it was. We're not yes. bringing that person back, but you absolutely can continue to live a fulfilling life. Whereas not that somebody with schizophrenia or psychosis can't, but it's, just, they will all always have to take a medication to help yes. regulate their thoughts and that chemistry in their brain. So trauma, let's start with PTSD, shall we? Yes. I now uh, we have. Steph and I were looking in um, the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is what governs therapists, right? And mm-hmm. psychologists and, and everybody under our field of how we go about diagnosing people. So, Steph, that we're going to read through the criteria of these different things because we, again, by no means are diagnosing or giving the tools for anybody to diagnose themselves. Mm-hmm. That no. is not your job unless you're a trained professional. That is not your job, nor should you be attempting to diagnose yourself. Even if you are a trained professional, it's not that Steph and I are diagnosing ourselves. Like I literally went to somebody and got my ADHD Mm -hmm. diagnosis. So please, again, train professional. Um, But the difference in um, an adjustment disorder, acute stress disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder, a lot of the times is timeline. Yes. So um, adjustment disorder uh is what I was what it was termed to me in the very beginning of my diagnosing career was kind of like a catch-all, right? Like this is the diagnosis that you can slap onto somebody while you're figuring out for insurance purposes what their diagnosis is going to be. Not that, and when I say slap onto somebody, it's because insurances prompt us therapists to make
0: diagnoses immediately. And I was um, gonna this- say, if you ever have gone to therapy. And you're under the impression that you don't have a diagnosis that is incorrect. Unless you're
1: seeing somebody like Steph and I who do not, we are not, um, so Steph and I are not governed by insurances. So we don't technically have to give you a diagnosis. Sure. Like we are in our mind and we definitely do share it with you. Um, but if you don't want that like written down or whatnot, because a lot of people, um, depending, a lot of people don't like the label, right. They get really hung up on Mm -hmm. that. And so that's what I'm speaking to right now. Not necessarily somebody who doesn't want it on like their medical record. If for some reason they're going into the military or something, because then I would be more careful as whether I chose to see them or not, depending because I'm ethically, if I think that it's something that needs to be discussed or reported, then I'm going to do it period. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand that maybe you don't like that or don't want that, but like
0: (laughs) other lives could be at stake if I'm not reporting the correct information. I just had a lot of people that are like, no, they never told me a diagnosis or no, I don't really have one. And uh, I'm like, yes. "Mm -hmm."
1: Yes. I've had that a lot. I've definitely had that a lot. So they're, so they're the two schools, right? If we're see, if you're seeing somebody under your insurance, you definitely have a diagnosis. You you have to, so they, we wouldn't they get may
0: paid for services if we did exactly. not give a diagnosis. Exactly.
1: So this is the adjustment disorder. What I'm talking about when I say slap it on somebody is the sense of it's a very, um, it can catch a lot of different, um, symptomology right so like you could have gotten into a car accident and you could be really anxious but like you can still drive and like function somewhat as normal but like you're still super anxious about it so i'm not necessarily going to diagnose you with anxiety, like gad which is generalized anxiety disorder or like you know chronic anxiety disorder i'm not necessarily going to diagnose you with like a trauma disorder because if if some of you're not fitting the symptomology or the criteria like it doesn't I'm not going to put that on you, but an adjustment disorder really does catch everything. It's just like a stressor it can be of any severity and um, um, perceived or your perception of severity. It doesn't have to be, it could be something as like, you know, somebody punched me in the face of the supermarket or like, you know, I mean, it
0: could be like a literal breakup any, and moving from yeah. high school to college, your parents yes. getting a divorce, right? Like a fallout yeah. with friends, right? It, it really does encompass a lot and it gives the clinician enough time to investigate and <laughs> ask more questions yeah. and determine timelines in order to give you a more confirmed diagnosis. Not That's that correct. an adjustment order adjustment disorder is not relevant, it is, but yes. also you can't keep an adjustment disorder forever because there's timelines. Yep. So you've got
1: to then. Usually, it's what I would do if, if somebody's coming to me for trauma is I'm going to be looking at an adjustment disorder depending on like what they've got going on, mm-hmm. and then keep asking the questions that yep. I need to ask that I can't ask in the sixty minutes that I'm given to make exactly. This. So then moving on to <laughs> acute stress disorder. So this is anywhere from six. What well it's. It's like mixed up. It says like either like four days or six days, and then up to the four weeks. So this is where something stressful has happened, and you're seeing like so. Say you got into a car accident, and you're starting to have some of these um, symptoms where you're really nervous about driving, afraid to get in. um, Having nightmares about what happened. Nightmares like that shock response when a car gets too close, of like (gasps) like you know freaking Mm -hmm. out. Um, And it's when that trauma happens within um those symptoms show up in those 4 weeks and are resolved in those 4 weeks um so sometimes traumatic things happen to us and our brain gets really um it gets out of whack in the beginning for a little bit but then is able to process and understand what happened and make sense of it and continue to move on mm-hmm. so i think like um this could have happened with i feel like this happened with my cat joe dying mm-hmm. i really really do like i i he was uh, with me for 10 years um, he went in, um, not a traumatic way, but like basically died a year after my first cat died of like a broken heart, but he mm-hmm. like, he was completely fine. And then he just stopped eating, stopped everything. So, and I just remember being distraught for like a week and a half, two weeks. And then like, as time passed and as I like talked about it with friends and family and like started to understand, and then I got sued. So like also not super healthy, but replaced him, not literally, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so I was able to focus my attention on something else. I was able to move through it. Right. <laughs> so again, those, any of those, um, those, uh, the, the sadness, the, the flashbacks, the, um, the anxiety, um, avoidance of, of symptoms or triggers or any of those things, if it's within these four weeks, it, it happens and then resolves itself. So that would be our acute stress disorder.
0: The other thing to note that I will say is that it's not just you experiencing the traumatic event. It could be you witnessing it or somebody close to you experiencing something. So when my dad got in that bad accident, that fucked me up for a while. You know, I was constantly worried about him. And so it can be, you know, something of that nature as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it doesn't have to be real. It can be an
1: imagined um, attack on your personal safety or threat to your life. Right. It Mm. does not not in the sense of like, well, I had a dream and I imagined someone was killing me, but like, so where, where you got into a car accident and you really felt like you were going to die. You didn't die, but you really felt like it like that, that counts. So then if we move then to the next higher level up, it would be the post-traumatic stress disorder, commonly referred to as PTSD. Um, So this is where they experienced, witnessed, um, where it was involved in, um, where there was the threatened death or just experienced an intense fear, hopelessness or horror. so with kids, it's going to look more like disorganized behavior or chaotic behavior too.
0: That's how it shows up for children. Um, a, lot, a lot like ADHD, actually. Yeah, a lot like ADHD. A they're lot, hypervigilant, a lot. so they appear hyper because they're always yes. on edge, like looking around everywhere. Having time.
1: to move, fidget, do yep. all those things. Yep. Having to, like uh, constantly attempting to avoid those symptoms. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like he did talk about that. Vessel um, talked about that in his book. um, um, um. um Like kids of alcoholics um, Mm. whose parents were alcoholics and never knowing what was going to be coming next, and like that, them getting misdiagnosed in school. Yep. (coughs) So, Post-traumatic stress disorder then I think is at the three-month mark afterwards and then continues on. Yeah, so um, pretty persistent. Yeah, pretty yeah, pretty persistent. So in those four weeks, those symptoms haven't resolved. We're moving from acute stress disorder to post-traumatic stress disorder. And then there's specifiers with post-traumatic stress disorder. So just like um, an anxiety disorder or depression disorder, mm-hmm. so like... Depression um, isn't just like, oh, you're depressed. It's major depressive disorder. Is and it's what mild, it's moderate, or severe. So there are different specifications yep. as to what's going on. So when people hear major depressive disorder, they're usually like, oh, I'm really depressed. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's just what it is in the book. We yep. don't make the rules. so there's specifiers to tell us of like, ah, it's okay. You know, I mean, you know, their life is a little messed up and they're, they're not too happy. And then it's like, oh, it's affecting some things kind of hard for them to go to work or school. And then it's like, oh shit. Yeah. They can't get out of bed. They're not showering. Mm -hmm. Same goes with this trauma disorder. So for PTSD, there is an acute, a chronic, and then with delayed onset. So acute is if the duration or symptoms is less than three months and then chronic is if the duration of symptoms is three months or more. And then delayed onset is at least the symptoms starting six months after the trauma has happened. Sometimes your brain is continuing to live in this fight or flight, um, like shock mode. And adrenaline keeps you going for that time. And then eventually when enough time has passed and your brain settles, it starts to recognize what happened. And then it's like, oh, shit, I'm not okay. So Do then you also
0: think that... Out avoidance plays a part in that too. If you're a person that already avoids feeling your feelings and something traumatic happens and you just like shut it out or put it in a box and you don't open it up again, but then like six months later, something triggers you and then it comes flooding back. Like, do you think that plays a part? Well, and so then do we call that avoidance or do we call that, um,
1: um, what is the thing where you push it away? Not, not avoidance. Um, suppressed memories. Mm. So is that like, cause it's, that's both like avoidance. Yeah, sure. You can do your best to play, but you're still going to have the, to, to play around and not be around those triggers triggers or symptoms, but you're still going to have that um, hypervigilance, anxious feeling about like, what if I can't avoid it, you know, at this Mm -hmm. party or what if I can't avoid blah, 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 like with a repressed memory or a suppressed memory, like you, you don't really like your brain just locks and files that away. And you have no idea that it really happened until your brain feels safe enough and then lets it out. So that's what happens common um, or often in EMDR is a lot of people don't, they have bits and pieces of the fragment of that memory and it, it bothers them and it's upsetting to them, but they can't put the whole memory together. Sure. Sometimes EMDR gives you all those memories back, gives you the full memory, puts it together. And then we reprocess it all. If that makes sense. Yeah. Not to be, don't let that, that those statements scare you. I understand that it may seem scary. Like, oh my God, I'm going to do EMDR and all my memories are going to come flooding back. That's not how it works you're still very much so in the present day safe with a therapist reprocessing memories. And again, you went to that therapist to be able to work through that trauma you ha- and you're going to get that full memory back sometimes to reprocess it. Mm-hmm. But then that just means it's going to, it's going to, you're going to lose that emotional pull that much faster. Sure. <laughs> so um, some of the things that are interest uh, interesting to me. So for the, um, the PTSD or the traumatic event is just, um, the, the different symptoms that can come with it of like being like struggling to fall asleep, difficulty staying asleep. And it's not even so much so that you're having nightmares, just that your body is on that constant high alert, having that adrenaline pulsing Mm -hmm. through. So it's so hard for you to calm down. Um, and then sometimes the repressed memories too, of like you not even having the full memory or not even knowing that it had happened. Mm -hmm.
0: I think that is so interesting that our brains do that. (laughs) <laughs> i think i can't tell if that's thunder or the lady upstairs sorry that's just like totally blew me off just now i was like she's rolling a bowling ball what the fuck is happening up there yeah, is it, it like legit rain thunder.
1: it is raining yeah
0: um i think sometimes people get caught up in knowing their triggers right i think yeah. in some instances it's evident what some triggers are right like you obviously know if you were in a car accident it would be triggering to get into a car for a lot of people yes. right But if something happened to where it was, you were confused as to whether or not something was traumatic, Mm
1: -hmm. identifying
0: the triggers could also be generally very confusing. And then you Mm -hmm. may feel on edge all the time and not know where to begin. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, what I love to have people do is to get like one of those like little pocket notebooks Mm -hmm. and keep pen with them and then keep that either in your purse or back pocket or like do it on your, I mean, you don't necessarily have to do the pen and paper. I just prefer that for therapy purposes because it's creating that mental like brain to body connection, but you can do it on your phone as well and start to recognize, you know, "Mm, I was driving past this street and I felt, you know, this, or like every time I see the color orange, it's really upsetting to me or, oh, Mm -hmm. I really don't like this smell. Um, and starting to write those things down. So then you can have, um, one that information for your therapist, cause that's going to be helpful. It's helpful for me to know what people's triggers are. And like, um, cause there's certain things in EMDR that you can do, um, resource, a resource installation. So like, if you need, um, like for flying, we'd so at the second part of the EMDR training, I was really worried, I I mean, I hate flying, everybody knows, I think I've talked about it enough, Um, but you can do this resource installation where you think um, you like assign a a thing or a person or a object um, and attach um, healthy words to it, like healthy coping words to it. Mm -hmm. So like mine was like an owl and courage. And so like, then you go through like, you know, imagining um, this visualization of like, I'm on this owl and I'm flying through the air and like, I'm noticing the ups and downs and like, I'm coping well with it and blah, blah, blah. And use bilateral stimulation Hmm. with that as well. Um, and it felt really good while doing it. It really, really did. And I think if I would continue with it, that maybe I wouldn't be as triggered as I am flying. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, also it's getting better. Like the, the more that I fly, I'm like, I'm getting used to it. I'm not going to say it's my favorite thing or that I like it, but the more that I'm going on vacations, the more that I'm starting to be like, okay, just like exposure therapy, right? Sure. Of Like, okay, this was fine. Okay. This is yep. fine too. And this was fine. Um, so they have things like that too. But again, if you're not writing those, those, um, moments down, like we don't know, like what mm-hmm. you might need help with, but then also too, it's helpful to know what your triggers are. So then you can start to have things, um, To avoid them like so for somebody who might have been raised without access to food or like running water, maybe like you know it's the joke of like the emotional support water bottle but sometimes that really is something for somebody of like you know where maybe they were kidnapped and they were. kept without water or food, like having, having those things on you is keeping those triggers at bay. It's like, I am meeting my needs and I can show myself that I'm meeting my needs and that I don't need to be afraid of not having these things because there's access to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, sure. That might be a drastic experience, right? Like, I don't know anybody who was kidnapped, but I'm just saying it for purposes. Yeah. An example. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, go ahead. <laughs> So then I think once you start to identify those triggers and the things that are upsetting to you, you can bring those to a therapist and start working on them right to really start to understand because ultimately what it comes down to when you have been through trauma or witness trauma or, you know, have these perceived traumas, it, it was a moment in time where you weren't feeling safe and the purpose of a therapist is to help you feel safe, help Mm -hmm. you to recognize that you are safe. You are in control. Um, you can leave any situation that you don't want to be in. So I really, when, when we had posed the question on my, um, Facebook about like, what what do we need to talk about? People are talking about PTSD and like triggers and how to cope with them. Realistically, there's there's so many different ways to cope. I mean, any mode of therapy is going to have their own way of coping. Sure. Steph and I have talked about coping skills a lot on our podcast. But again, just to review some of them that we talked about, what episode was it where we talked about the stop skill?
0: It was recently. Uh uh-huh.
1: I don't remember. I don't either. It was fifty four to fifty six.
0: I'm almost positive. So we talked about the stop scale where it was like taking the breaks. Oh, that was talking about not taking your moods out on other people. Oh, so that it wasn't, it was 57 or 58. It was like taking a beat. I think that one comes out in the next. It comes out next month.
1: Yes. So that one's coming out soon. Obviously it will be out before this. So you're already going to hear it. Yep. (laughs) But it talks about like, so the stop. So it's like taking a step back. Um, it's stopping, taking a step back, observing, and then proceeding with caution, um, being able to, we talked about how breathing is so fucking huge. Um, and not just to be try breathing exercises when you're in the midst of a crisis, you mm-hmm. need to, in order to build up the breathing that helps regulate your, um, nervous system, it has to be something that is consistent and it has to be, um, Like belly breathing, like so yoga, yoga is huge. It teaches you how to breathe with your belly instead of just these short, shallow chest breaths, Mm -hmm. um, which then can create hyperventilation. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, and grounding and mindfulness, right? Like we have to be back in our body because if you're experiencing Mm -hmm. something, like a traumatic trigger or a flashback, you are convinced that you are back in that situation and you need to know like reality testing of like, I'm not there right now. I'm okay. I feel my feet on the ground. I can hear Mari's voice in front of me. Like I'm okay. And yes, that takes effort and it takes work because if you're just going to stay stuck and that's not to sound offensive, but if you're going to stay stuck in that situation, you're not ever going to feel like you can get out. You have to be able to tell your brain, like, no, I'm okay. I'm safe. And this is how I know that I'm okay. And I'm safe. I have a lot of
1: times when we they talked about it in the EMDR certification, a lot of times it's like, look at your hand and what does your hand look like? Mm-hmm. Does your hand look like five-year-old you or does your hand look like you now? And mm-hmm. so then being able to look at your feet, okay, what do your feet look like? Do they look like your shoes that you're wearing today or do they look like the shoes that you were wearing when you were raped or sure. you know, whatever it may be? <laughs> a lot of people think too that it has to be some... <laughs> drastic big thing that happens to you for trauma. And like, again, I just want to reiterate that it doesn't have to be a giant car accident or a rape or a molestation or something like that it can be something. Uh, um, not that this isn't as severe as those things, but people think it has to be this forceful jarring thing that happens where it can be this sustained trauma of like infertility. Mm-hmm you know, going through those treatments and going through um, hearing, you know, different doctor's appointments where we're not getting the answers that you want that over and over and over again, that's a repeat uh, trauma that sustained trauma. So like people also should understand that verbal abuse can turn into trauma because it's this repeated sustained event
0: um, or neglect, if, like neglect yeah, isn't physical yes. abuse, but it is still abuse. Yes, it's very much it. so abuse, and it affects the way your brain develops, and how mm-hmm. you interpret situations, and how you live in the world, and how you see the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and I think people forget about that, right? When we're taught yeah. as mandated reporters, what we call and report, mm-hmm. neglects often on the back burner, and it's like, mm-hmm. no, dude, if this kid's needs aren't being met, if he's not being fed, and he's being sent to school without shoes and socks, like that shit happens. Oh, happens. all the time.
1: All the time all the time. I can't tell you how many times they reported neglected at the hospital we used to work at and then it would just get screened out. Yep. Um, so what emotional abuse crazy. to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then as, as people in a helping profession and not just us, so like nurses, doctors, dentists, anybody that they also go through that, um, secondary trauma or vicarious yep. trauma. So like also understanding too, that sitting and listening to people's um traumatic stories all day or like experiencing traumatic events at work of like someone coming in with a you know broken leg and they're just screaming and
0: all of those things coming to work with a weapon yeah yeah oh it's beating the shit out of you every day (laughs) (laughs) yeah or having to put a little kid in a hold like oh it's not easy and i will tell you right now before i had my son not that holds were easy, but after I had him, they were a lot fucking harder because mm-hmm. these kids would cry for their mom and I'm like, I can't, I'm out, somebody's gonna switch with me. I can't do it. Yeah. I can't. Like yeah. I know that I'm doing this to keep him safe and I'm not doing it because I'm trying to hurt him, obviously. But it right. there was that shit pulled on your heartstrings. Yeah, it was it was definitely hard. Definitely hard. Um, so hopefully this has
1: brought about an understanding of what. PTSD is and um, potentially how to deal with some of the symptoms, but again, I think this episode could be two to three hours long if we talked about Literally. How, to, how to manage those symptoms, right? If you listen to any of our episodes about stress, about how not to project your emotions out onto loved ones, um, any of our cognitive errors... I, cognitive error episodes too, that is also like changing the way that your brain is thinking, which Mm -hmm. definitely happens when you experience a traumatic event, you start to operate in that fear of I'm not safe, I'm not okay, (laughs) which just isn't necessarily accurate, depending on the situation that you were in versus the situation you're in now. So um, there are many different ways and therapies to deal with trauma. So we'll just kind of end on that. Um, you can do EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. You can do um, EFT, which is emotional freedom tapping. Is that what it, it is? Yeah, emotion, emotional freedom technique. So they do tapping. Um, so it's kind of it's uh, somewhat of the same understanding of um, EMDR, which um, is using the bilateral stimulation, but it's just a different way to do it. There is internal family systems theory, which I think is. Phenomenal and is the next thing that I would love to be trained in. Um, after listening to it in the Body Keeps score, that book towards the end, he talks about different modes of therapy that you can use. And um, internal family systems is in there, and it sounds so good. Um, you can do rational, emotive, behavioral therapy.
0: Um, it was a little confusing for Steph and I because we were like, Oh, this is that lady was a terrible presenter, but I also think DBT has a huge role, and that's like the primary practice that Mari and I use because what can happen with trauma (laughs) is that it can develop into other issues for you Mm -hmm. that DBT Mm -hmm. can then correct.
1: Correct. Um, Basically what we're talking about is sometimes you, I mean, BPD, so borderline personality disorder can come out of um, trauma or the way that um, you felt you had to operate in your situation and or your life to make it to survive, mm-hmm. um, depending on what was going on. And so we're gonna talk more about borderline personality disorder, um, but DBT is a proven method to be able to um, help. I hate the word cure. No, um, well, it doesn't cure it. You learn no, to cope help with it and you change lear- your way yes. of thoughts. Yes. Yeah, you learn start to perceive learn the world some- differently. Yes. To change your view on the world, um, due to it being inaccurate because of the way yes. that you were maybe raised or what you experienced and then how it gets stuck in that, that track in your mind. So, um, yeah. Ultimately,
0: ultimately what we're saying is like, yeah. seek a professional.
1: If you're yeah. struggling, you have things. to, yes. 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 You
0: can't do this on like, your own. You're not expected to do this on your own.
1: And that that is the one thing that I will say about like, so depression or anxiety, or maybe, um, um, some of maybe the diagnoses that I would consider like lower level, not, they're not, I'm not dismissing the fact that people are going through things or experiencing things, but sometimes those, um, different mental, um, disorders, uh, you can maybe do this on your own. Maybe sure. you can right. Maybe you can work through that on your own. Trauma is a different beast all in and of itself because of the way that it changes, how your brain is functioning mm-hmm. um, so it is extremely important to be able to see a professional because if you are being diagnosed with a trauma disorder then it would be helpful to have somebody else there to help facilitate these different modes of therapy to be able to help you through this mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't you you can, recover. It does not have to be where, well, this is my life now. And this is how I experience it. This fear, this anxiety, mm-hmm. this, you know, always feeling like I have to check, you know, someone's is on my back or I got to, you know, lot, do all these different locks because basically PTSD is a gateway to all of these other diagnoses, mm-hmm. um, you know, developing compulsions into some of the compulsions from some of the anxieties that you have that are surrounding, um, the trauma like so with so seizures like sure. me and my compulsion was starting to develop like are you okay are you okay are you okay and mm-hmm. like ask every 45 fucking seconds is so stupid now that stupid. I look back oh, I look back right and think about it but like in the moment I was like I have to ask
0: yes if she's Otherwise, not okay? thinking
1: that's gonna happen. Yeah. yeah yeah if if I don't ask then she is gonna be in her room seizing whereas yep. like now I'm like Mario oh honey it's not how that works. <laughs> like you asking doesn't prevent the seizure <laughs> So, yes. So hopefully this was helpful. Um, I love trauma. So if you guys, if you guys need anyone, I'm your girl. I'm your girl. I love it. I, I, people are like, you love that people have been to really negative things. And I'm like, no, I love helping them know that they don't have to feel that way the rest yep. of their life. For sure. So. Uh, you can find Steph at spooky fit mom 13 You can find me at BEA underscore XO11. We are at Rewriting Her Story Podcast all on Instagram. You can email us and questions, concerns, comments at RewritingHerStoryPodcast at gmail.com. And we are Rewriting Her Story Podcast on YouTube. Like, share, subscribe to anything. To literally anything. <laughs> anything anything followers on Spotify or Apple Music you can on Instagram like things comment we love yes. it we love to see it yes um yeah until next time bye, bye.